What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Halfway through the year already. That's I guess right. Almost. Welcome to Cavs a Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and I'm here with Eli Kim and Chris Francis, and we are kicking it final style. Got a couple weeks to the draft. About two weeks and two days, right, Eli? No, uh, one week and two days actually. Oh, oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah approaching. So we are just about nine days away. That's amazing. Um, I don't know about you, but I am ready for the finals to be over so the real uh, season can begin, the NBA draft. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. right. Then we were just discussing about how uh, how Chris was chowing down on some steak before this. I had myself a nice sirloin roast. Um, so, yeah, we, 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 are, uh, we are heavy on the iron here. <laughs> so, we are fatted calves. Yeah, we are. <laughs> well, no, that would make us cannibals. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, you're right. Love that. <laughs> we, we we are wolves. <laughs> That's right. Fatted wolves. There we go. Carnivores. Anyway, um, yeah. So now that you are done with your Costco steak, um, <laughs> who do you think wins this NBA final series? Because I I've actually really enjoyed the last two games. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I mean, it's been a fantastic series, a highly competitive one. Um, I still think it's an open-ended question, although I'm I'm sure that's a biased opinion given I was uh, kind of expecting. I, I, I honestly believe that uh, the Celtics are the more talented team, but they don't have the best player in the series, which is Steph Curry, uh, much to my chagrin. So I think um, they might have the best player in the series, but that player is hurt, and that's Robert Williams III, or at least the most impactful player. Yeah, I mean, yeah, his, he's obviously not right. I mean, he's he 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 had surgery for a meniscus tear, um, just like five or six weeks ago, and came back within four weeks. 
Uh, and also what happened, I guess what happened subsequently was he got re he re injured that knee, I think either bumped it or he just landed wrong and got a bone bruise. Yeah. And he's had all sorts of just, you know, playing on one leg, he twisted an ankle. Uh, Yeah. He was tweaked his shoulder the other night. Like playing big in the NBA isn't for the faint of heart. That's for damn sure. Yeah. And he is, he's one of these bigs that's a lot bigger up top than he is down low. (laughs) <laughs> like he's he's very barrel chested. Well, and he, and he's and he's so reliant on that athleticism. I mean, he yeah. just has remarkable athleticism that he relies upon because he's a bit undersized. Yeah, but he is um, also super strong. Too. Exactly, it's not no, like I mean, just fast twitch. No, absolutely. He's just a ridiculous athlete and a smart player, and they're really missing him because he. You could tell he's laboring anytime there's a switch, which is not something that happened before. Uh, he was able to handle switches on the perimeter pretty nicely. Um, he's biting on things, and also he just doesn't have a lift. You know, he's their lob threat, a la Jared Allen. You know, for the Cavs. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, that's a great point. I mean, it's probably looking bleak for the Celtics fans out there, um, given how he's played. You know, he just hasn't been consistent or good enough. Um, and also, really, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about Jason Tatum kind of dropping the bag here in the finals. Not really. Uh, putting his imprint on the game as he should uh, as the lead offensive creator for the team. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's looking bad. But, I mean, I just think, you know, it, there's all these stats out there. You know, if Tatum gets X amount of points or X amount of rebounds, they're like 18-2. and two. If they, you know, keep their turnovers down below like 15, they're like undefeated or something. I, I forget what the numbers were exactly. But they're just, I mean, they're their own worst enemies uh, throughout this um they're, the finals is about making the fewest mistakes, and it's clearly Golden State that are making the fewest mistakes um, and capitalizing on Boston's mistakes. So uh, it's looking bleak, but me, I don't. I'm yeah, sorry. go ahead. Oh, I was no, just I mean, going to say, I'm just looking at the box score the other night. I mean, Robert Williams far and away the best cow, best. Uh, oh gosh, I almost called him the Cavalier. That would I, I would have heard no end of that. But uh, <laughs> uh, plus eleven, whereas nobody else in the starters or even in the top seven was even in the positive on the plus minus. So clearly his net rating when he was off the floor, the they just plummeted and Horford is the out Horford looks like he's playing a team of Tristan Thompson's out there with a minus nineteen in thirty two <laughs> minutes. Um he just looks old, not able to keep up with anything anyone. Derek White has kind of we've seen the bad version of Derek White without any ability to score had one point last game. Uh, you know, Grant Williams, uh, not very good. And and guess who, you know, provided some offense last game? The guy who was abysmal the game before, yet the worst of one, Draymond Green. So, <laughs> yeah. Hang you, Draymond. And, yeah, and it was all turnovers because, you know, you hold Steph to 7-22, his first game in, like, how many games? It was almost 180 games without a three-pointer. It may have been more than that. I thought yeah, it, it, it was, was an ridiculous. insane number. Yeah, it was four years ago. I yeah. do remember that. So, however many years was four. Yeah. There games, it was four games, uh, four years ago. There you yeah. Go. Without a three, 0 for 9. So, and of course, you know, Gary Payton looked awesome. Once again, some team, you know, the Warriors aren't going to be a, able to afford to keep him, most likely. Some team is going to give him at least half the mid level. Um, and he's going to, he's a really, really impactful bench player. 
Like you can build an entire bench defense. Just, I mean, the guy can guard four positions really. I mean, he, you can see him guarding a lot of fours you know, on switches. So, you know, he's super impressive for them. And they, they pretty much ran an eight man rotation with Jordan Poole and, um, it was enough to uh, to keep Boston at bay, and Draymond was really good. Um, Andrew Wiggins was has been otherworldly, threatening to. I feel like the key to this series for Boston is for Boston to start uh, getting the Warriors fans to turn on Andrew Wiggins for taking away Steph's uh, Finals MVP and and start stirring the shit. <laughs> the, are you saying there's a Wiggins agenda now? <laughs> well, I mean, he's been the best player for... Now, obviously, it's very similar to what we saw with Andre Iguodala when he won an MVP. Is He's the guy that they're leaving open, and he's the guy that's beating them. Um, and especially in the rebounding department, that's probably where Wiggins is helping them more than anything. Is because they desperately needed rebounding, and he's provided it, so... Eli, well, that's an impre- yeah, that's an impressive part of Wiggins' game there with the rebounding. I remember he he got like fifteen rebounds or thirteen rebounds, thirteen last, last night, and yeah. then I think like thirteen in the previous game. Yeah, yeah. it's just uh, that's impressive because I mean rebounding is about willpower and one two, and uh, you know there's always been questions about so is he you know is he a dog? Is he is he ready to get you know is he uh, willing to grind things out, you know, on a court and, instead of just jacking jumpers. And uh, it's cool to see him kind of, uh, you know, uh, put give one to the naysayers. You know what I mean? Absolutely. He actually had 16 games and 17 points in uh, game four, which was, you know, I thought. Wow, the, 16 rebounds in game yeah, four? Jeez. Yeah, 13 on the D board. So, yeah. And Steph had 10 boards that game. So, I, I and Steph kind of had an other otherworldly game four with you know forty three points on twenty six shots to go with ten boards. I mean he he was amazing and you know to me as a Cavs fan I am rooting for Golden State just because I kind of don't want to see their legacy tarnished because I feel like it would tarnish the Cavs a little bit. So of course I said I want to see the worst played game seven ever. Um, to prove both these teams are frauds, but that's probably not going to happen. Eli, you've been awfully quiet over there. What yeah, I'm just basking in all the knowledge from you. Guys. <laughs> um, oh, wow. <laughs> I'll, uh, I got a kind of maybe a hot take, but I think, just being honest with you, I think if the 2018 Cavs played either of these teams, I think they would wax the floor with this squad. Uh, it's really interesting. I think the quality of this year's champion is pretty low. Because these teams, I think, are—I don't think either of these teams are as good as you know the Bucks last year. I really don't. I think there was just a lot of injuries, and the pathway in the playoffs this year was really wonky with all these injuries and uh, unique stories. So that's my hot take. Uh, I'm, with, I'm with you. I—I I mean, maybe 2018 isn't the right one, but certainly 2015 and 2017. I think they absolutely might. I mean, does Otto Porter even sniff the floor in any of those four finals games? I don't think so. No way. And he yeah. started. <laughs> yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, Al I don't Horford, know. I mean. Geriatric Al Horford. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about all that. I mean, it's so I mean, it's just a, you know, interesting what if, but I don't know. I mean. It's probably. Really to me, is pretty good. I mean, like Boston has gone. They swept. 
you know, Brooklyn, the favorites, the pre the preseason favorites, they uh really should have uh they really should have uh they kinda played with their food against the Bucks and the and the Heat for uh what it's worth. I think, you know, if the biggest what if I think is what if uh the Bucks are healthy, you know, with Chris Middleton. You know, that that all of a sudden becomes an interesting series. But as it was, it was kind of Brooklyn playing with their food and kind of, uh, you know, that should have been finishing five. But I think they were clearly the better team. So, and I think they've been, and they were the better team against the Heat, you know. So, uh, you know, I think they were, I think these teams are worthy, you know. Uh, Golden State, I think everything was dependent upon Steph's health and he was healthy, you know. And so with a healthy Steph, it's just, uh, you know, they're, they're really hard to stop. So they manage um, the season very similarly than, to the way the Spurs did in their runs in the terms of, you know, really keeping guys out for long stretches, load management, that kind of thing. I think, you know, they learned their lesson with the 72 win team. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think, uh, you know, Kaminga got big minutes, I think, or a decent amount of minutes. Moody got a, a decent amount of minutes. And so, yeah, I mean, they were able to, they had that hot start. They what they really took advantage was a favorable schedule at the beginning of the year. Um, they they didn't waste you know they didn't waste that opportunity because I think there was some stat like at the beginning of the season for with Golden State they were they never left California for like a straight month of the first month of the season or something like all their games were in California like they didn't have to travel at all and in that course they like went. I don't remember. They went like twenty one and three or something, something ridiculous. Yeah, they had a really, really good start. Yeah, yeah. Before, before uh, Phoenix, Phoenix caught fire. But yeah, they just kind of took advantage of us. You know, their their favorable scheduling, and like you said, they kind of weathered the storm of injuries in the middle of the season and got right. You know, got kind of load managed everybody and definitely got Steph right. I mean, how can you, you know, I think there's a valid point there you're making, you know, they, Steph is completely right as rain for the playoff run. And that's what counted. And that's what mattered to them, you know, and, well, you know, and they, Clay Thompson is good enough. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. He's a, he's an innings eater at least, you know, a, a minutes eater, you know, so. Well, uh, and, and you have to respect, respect his three ball, no matter yeah. what. I mean, he's, and, I mean, he's he had some a really pretty good game. Shots this yeah. He had a pretty good game in game five, right? If I'm, if I'm yeah. remembering yeah. correctly. For so, sure. Yeah. You know, and, um, we're going to come back in just a minute. Uh, but I do want to say, I feel like both these teams are really good at playing with their food. <laughs> like you said, like I just, some of these runs that the other team goes on just baffle me. Like, you know, Golden State just let their foot off the gas in the third quarter last night, and you thought the Celtics had all the momentum, and then they came right. The Dubs came right back in the fourth, and you know you got to say Boston had all the momentum after a two-one lead, and really going into that third quarter in Boston, and then you know Golden State came back and took it from them again, and you know I was like, ooh, that could be the series. So. Uh, but I didn't want to see Golden State go down three one. I that, that that legacy should remain remain forever untarnished. I would hate to see them come back there. So glad that <laughs> didn't happen. Um, and with that, we'll be right back. And I have a very very interesting what if that this playoffs has conjured. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs the Podcast. I'm Nate Smith here with Eli Kim and Chris Francis. And one of the what ifs I want to lay on you that's. Uh, 
you know, 2016, I wouldn't trade it for anything and I wouldn't trade the way that it broke down at all. Um, but one of the things that this Andrew Wiggins kind of resurgence, uh, and let's not forget that Minnesota gave up a first round pick that turned into Jonathan Kaminga just to get rid of Andrew Wiggins. Um, so that, that was interesting, but it made me think about my most famous or my most infamous hot take was that there's no way in HE double hockey sticks that the Cavs should trade uh, Kevin Love for Andrew Wiggins. And I've, I've fully admitted I was wrong there, but one of the things I'm thinking is maybe Andrew Wiggins needs to play with an alpha dog. Maybe he just doesn't have that in him and he would have been a very different player in Cleveland with LeBron James than he would have been as quote unquote, the man in Minnesota. Do you think that's true, Eli, or did he just need to mature into the player we're seeing now and he would have been just as bad as first few years in Cleveland? What do you think? Man, I I think I think that's really tough because I don't think we've really seen any young player thrive with LeBron as a teammate. So I think he needed to go to Minnesota and take the lumps and get ridiculed and have all the negative headlines. Because um, let's be honest, his game is benefiting supremely from Steph, from the spacing, and he's basically a glorified role player who's uh, excelling at it, don't get me wrong, and he might sneak away with final MVP if he has another game like this to clinch it, but um, I think that if in this what if, if he was still in Cleveland, I don't think he's the player he is today, just to be honest with you. Chris, uh, any uh, any rebuttal or concurrence? There? I mean, Kyrie was a pretty young player that thrived next to LeBron. So, uh, but to I, be fair, he wasn't nineteen years old. That's true. No, no, absolutely right, right. No, I mean, I, I my initial response was to kind of agree with uh, Eli in terms. I mean, he's so young. He's gonna. He. I mean, just rookies suck. You know what I mean? Like you have to be a generational type guy if you, to not suck your rookie year in the NBA. It's just the the way things are. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. Like, what if you know? What if uh, Wiggins is the third fiddle and then becomes the second fiddle to LeBron? You know, post Kyrie trade. You know, uh. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting because, I mean, like, if you look at the playoffs right now with Wiggins, like, what has Wiggins given them? And granted, he's getting all the space because of Steph and Clay or whatever, but um, he's the guy that is athletic enough and can attack the rim. You know, uh, Steph is attacking the rim a little bit less and a little bit less um, as the years go by and, he, and, he, and as he gets up in age. And it's really Ray is terrified of attacking the rim. Yeah, exactly. There you go. And so, really, Wiggins is their only option to have a guy just take the ball and cook and try and get to the rack and make something happen. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a pool a little bit, but he's yeah, more right. An, he's but an outside in so bad. Than a I mean, he, yeah. Well, yeah. he but he gives him scoring punch off the bench, which it's yeah, no, I mean, he does, need. but he's just been awful. Especially I mean, he's just Aiden. been he's just been literally awful, and he was supposed to be the second fiddle uh, to Steph, and uh, you know he was the second fiddle to Steph throughout these playoffs, but um, but now the bright lights of the finals has definitely gotten to pool, I'd say, and uh, but Wiggins has stepped up because he's older, he's more mature. Uh, I thought what was interesting, I saw. 
uh, I follow a Bulls fan um, who's a unapologetic uh, Jimmy Butler fan, and what's interesting is he dug up, I guess, some uh, you know past quotes from Jimmy Butler saying uh, uh, that Jimmy Butler was a fan of Wiggins while his, while he was at uh, uh, while he was in Minnesota that that he went to bat for that. Thibodeau and Jimmy Butler went to bat for um, Andrew Wiggins to, you know, the the Warriors organization and the other organizations, you know, to, you know, give this kid a chance or whatever. So I thought that was kind of interesting is that because we all know that he didn't like Cat, but apparently Wiggins was all right with him. So maybe, you know, maybe the outside perception of Wiggins was just wrong and he's just a quiet, you know, soft-spoken guy that's uh, got a little bit of dog in him. Yeah, I don't know. I, I certainly think it's the way he carries himself hasn't hasn't helped his reputation. I do have to argue a little bit with the pool who's been terrible. He had one bad game, and that was uh, game one. But ever since, he's had 17, 10, 14, and 14, and, you know, is is positive in the plus minus for the last four games. So I'm, I'm going to give him some props. I think he's been the solid scoring punch they need off the bench. And they, they've done a nice job of not really playing him more than, you know, 24 you know 15 to 24 minutes so i i i think he's fine I, you know, well, the stat that i was thinking of specifically was i think the offensive rating of the i think the offensive rating of golden state is like 99 <laughs> uh, with a with pool in the game so the, he's been awesome on defense i'll get you know uh, well i mean he's he's uh not been awesome but i mean he's trying on defense and i he's think he's holding his own yeah, yeah, and I think he's competitive. Also, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to bash the kid. I mean, I think he's still got that star trajectory, and this is his first finals. I mean, what is he, 22, 23? So, yeah. I mean, it's kind of, you know, he's, you know, I think uh, I think he's improved as the series has gone along, for sure. I mean, uh, I think he's kind of settled in. He's hit a couple huge half-court shots or whatever. Like, I think oh, that's man, kind of... Oh, man, that shot at the end of the third quarter last <laughs> night. And didn't he do it in game two? He did it twice. Yeah, I think he's done it twice. I mean, those were enormous moments for them. Yeah, absolutely. They were game-changers. I mean, momentum swingers. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I don't mean to bash you. I just think, you know, he it took him a while to settle down. And, and I think clearly Wiggins has kind of taken over the number two spot uh, as far as the second option on offense. Uh, for Golden State in just in the finals. Yeah, and, you know, kind of what I've noticed about Boston, especially last night as they kind of got in the weeds, is they very much reverted to that very selfish team that doesn't pass the ball with uh, Jason Tatum trying to do everything uh, as the game wore on last night, and they can't win that way. He's doing it to honor Kobe. Come on. Well, I, I said he's channeling his <laughs> Kobe retirement game. That's right. <laughs> So, and, and, you know, part of that is nobody else has really given him anything. I mean, Marcus Smart w was decent, but, you know, Derek White and Grant Williams and um, uh, Jalen Brown were all pretty horrible. So, yeah. And, of course, when you're relying on Peyton Pritchard, uh, <laughs> you know, the, their depth is, is starting to be a problem, too. I mean, they really... You can't play Peyton Pritchard, so they're seven deep, and Robert Williams is hurt. So it, it, you know, as always seems to happen for Golden State, injuries are a factor. So I don't know anything else. So I guess I'll ask you guys, you know, two part question: Is this going seven? Because I think it is, and if it goes seven, um, 
who wins Game 7. And I'm just going to stay. I think it's going to be Golden State Game 7 win. Uh, what about you guys? I don't think it's going 7. I think it, Really? I think you don't think the fix will be in in Boston? Because I totally I, think it will be. I hope so. God, I think, I hope I think, right. I think Golden State's going to get whistled for everything next game. Oh man, that'd be awesome! I love got, that. Oh, yeah, oh Adam Silver's on his deathbed. They got to uh, they got to fix this series. Where's for Scott him Foster? Going. Where's Scott Foster? <laughs> Celtics exactly. are thirteen. They're going to bring Tim Donahue out of mothballs. That's right. That's right. Let's let's get the group. Let's get the band back together. Scott Foster is going to going to put in an all time performance game six. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so so what are you saying? Is it you saying Golden State wins in Boston, Chris? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> Oh, we, we, cool. we live in hell, and that's that's what that's my Im- imagining of hell would be. Is <laughs> Eli, what about you? Uh, I also think it's going to end in Boston. I think uh, I think the Celtics just, like basically blew this um, blew this blew this uh, series series in Game Four. I mean, they had. I'm with you. They could have won that game easily, and they just. They were just lost focus, and they just played such a bad, you know, last six minutes of that game, and I think they gave it away. So I think they just mentally can't recover. And, you know, that's not a knock. Those guys, I mean, it's amazing to me that Jason Tatum is still not even 25 years old. I guess. That's a, that's insane. Like, they were in the Eastern yeah. Conference Finals in, what, his second year? Yeah, when Le- LeBron's last year in Cleveland. So, I mean, it's just insane to think that he's still not even 25 years old and he's here. Um, I mean, he was there when the Brinks truck backed up for Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, um, you know, I think that just really deflated the team. So I'm thinking that they can't win. Uh, and even if they do somehow eke out game six, I think Warriors got this, um, barring something catastrophic. So and, and it, It's an interesting take. I think they certainly know they blew their chance. I mean, you can see it in the body language. Um, and, and if you don't believe you can win in the NBA, you can't win. So confidence is everything. It is. Yes. So, uh, speaking of irrational confidence, guys, uh, Elijah Kim, (laughs) are you, do you like that? Wow. (laughs) To talk about our own Colin Sexton, um, and kind of some of the crazy rumors and a, a, a frankly ridiculous John Hollinger, um, analytics piece that put the value just all the values in the top 10 were just so silly uh for for the players that he was listing uh you you want to take us through that Eli yeah so he does this analysis called the board model and it doesn't account for injury it doesn't count um for a lot of things I feel like um but it went through shooting guards, which is a very specific set, and Colin Sexton was ranked ninth. Um, and here are some of the names that were kind of surprisingly ranked ahead of him. So, according to this model, Colin Sexton's worth about eleven million dollars on a new contract. Um, and this is per season, right? Per season, correct. And number one was James Harden at forty-six and a half million. Two was Bradley Beal at thirty-eight and a half. Three was Zach Levine at 31.7. And then, so I think that checks out. I mean, those guys are definitely all max worthy, I think. I mean, you can have that argument about Harden given the age and his, you know, off the court 
demeanor, but yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it's like debatable. I mean, it's not without, it's not perfect, but there's, you know, some rationale behind that, those valuations. But then after that, number four is Malik Monk. Five is DiVincenzo, which I'm a big fan. Well, well, and you got to throw the salaries out here, too. So Malik Monk, there's a huge drop-off. So Malik Monk is about half of Levine, so he's at $16.5 million. DiVincenzo is at fifteen and a half. Danny Green, who's like 35, um, is at 15 and a half, but he's obviously Going on not, 50. Yeah, and he's injured, so obviously the the article caveats that. Number seven is Cody Martin. Not Which, the Martin on the Heat, yeah. the Martin on the Hornets. Yeah, the very uh, – <laughs> he seems like just a guy to me. Yeah, and he's projected to make 12.4. And then number eight is Pat Connaughton. Which actually I'm not – I actually think that's not the worst number for Pat Connaughton right around the mid-range or Mm mid-level. Yeah. I mean, it's debatable, but it's certainly not crazy. I agree. And then I think Connaughton makes sense. Uh, DiVincenzo makes sense. But Green, Martin, and Monk are kind of out there for me. Um, And then number nine is Colin Sexton at about just under $11 million. So – and then number 10 is KCP, who yeah. I don't even think is going to opt out because he has a much higher contract. But. Correct. I think his, it's like $14 million Yeah. And so he's not going to opt out. Yeah, I would be surprised. Although I think he would not be the worst trade target. So oh, I agree. And I think he has partial non-guaranteed money in that too, so that deal might be wonky where a team wants to trade for it to clear some space. Yeah. So, um, But yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I don't think any of us are huge Colin Sexton fans here, but I also don't think either of us. I mean, I think we're open to him coming back. And that number, I mean, I'd be jumping for joy, but I just don't think that's a realistic number at all. Um, So I leave the floor to you guys. I mean, I would, I, even as a non Sexton fan, I still think that's just an absurdly low number for his skill set and what he's done, especially when you compare it to, like, you know, Cody Martin or Malik Monk. So that's kind of where I'll leave it at and kind of leave it to you guys to debate a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, the first thing, my first reaction to all this is that what's interesting is going back and, you know, going back and, you know, thinking about Chris Fedor's reporting regarding Colin Sexton, and it's it was reported by Fedor that the Cavs are looking for something in the fifteen to eighteen million dollar range. Um, and I think my first reaction to that Hollinger article is that the Cavs actually do have a realistic number, and I think uh, the ideal number, you know, a proper evaluation of. Colin Sexton services, which is, I think, in that 15 to $18 million range. You know, like you said, I, I wouldn't put Beal, Levine, or Harden ahead of them. But, you know, after that, you know, like you said, Malik Monk at $16 million, $15 million, You know? And so, I think, uh, you know, Colin Sexton's probably in that range. And, uh, you know, my, my whole thing was, you know, why not do like a 345 with a third-year option? For Sexton, let him get some generational money up front. You know, change his life with a forty-five million dollar, fifty million dollar contract uh, for three years. You know, give him a player option. You know, at the end of the two years, 
and uh, call it a day, you know. And I feel like everybody goes home happy. He's got a big, he's got his big second contract money um, that you know is uh, you know that's life changing, and it's also a reasonable number that doesn't hamstring the Cavs from using the mid level exception to improve the team. So, uh, you know, that's that's the way I see it, and I don't know what your take is, Nate. So I'm going to give my take when we come back from the break because uh, it Ooh, involves nice a teams. little uh, a little back and forth with, uh, you know, in the no Cavs uh, aficionado Evan Damerel. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and I'm here with Chris Francis and Elijah Kim, our draft experts. I'm not an expert on anything other than, you know, how to uh, – how to drink beer from a half barrel cake, but that's about it. Um, but I did want to talk about a little Twitter exchange I had yesterday with uh, Evan Damerel, and I pitched a trade that I actually thought was pretty fair trade. Uh, and one of the things I really liked about it was that the Cavs would sign and trade Sexton, and the Pacers would sign and trade Rubio, which I don't even know is if it's possible to trade him back to the Cavs after the Cavs traded him. But that would actually help the Cavs avoid paying their uh, – or avoid using their mid-level exception so that they could keep their powder dry for somewhere someone else. And the trade was Sexton and Windler for Rubio and Buddy Heald. And uh, I said, who says no? And, Evan, and that was with uh, Sexton kind of getting a four-year, $15 million deal. Um, and Windler was kind of thrown in for cap purposes. Um, and Evan said the Pacers would say no. And he said, you know, the reason was, um, for a guy coming off a knee injury who has plenty of existing questions packaged with a dude who can't stay healthy to begin with, for a guy who makes three pointers on a high, high volume, uh, that, uh, that's an interesting take. Like, I don't think, Anyone around the league perceives Colin Sexton's value as high as Cavs fans do. And just some of the takes I've heard have, have been pretty crazy. Um, and, and Wait, the, but that sounds like Damerel is not overvaluing Sexton. Right, that's what I'm saying. Everyone else oh. is, but he's oh. not. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. I, that yeah. wasn't clear Including okay. myself, gotcha. clearly, by pitching this trade. You know, um, I I think there may have been more truth to that uh, Hollinger article about perceptions around the league than, you know, Cavs fans care to admit. Um, I wonder if he gets an offer in restricted free agency or if teams kind of just feel out the Cavs for sign and trade ideas. Because I can't see, I'd be very surprised if you saw a team go above an $18 million a year offer sheet for Colin Sexton, which to me is kind of the sweet spot like you were just talking about. Um, I don't know. Uh, what do you guys think? Do you think Sexton gets more than $18 million or the sub, do like the Pacers or the Pistons just come out and make a big you know, free agency uh, splash just to mess with the Cavs? I can't see it being the Pacers, but that's just me. Yeah, I mean – I honestly can't. I mean, is Hollinger that wrong? 
is anyone offering a guy that's missed the whole season with a knee injury who's already undersized and relies upon speed and athleticism uh, to to gain his advantage in the NBA? Uh, are they offering him more than the mid level? I, I don't know. Do you like? I don't know. I mean, I think I think I'd be comfortable giving Colin Sexton the bubble, but I don't think he would accept that. Well, no, I but I I don't I think you know if nobody would ever even come close to paying him fifteen million, and the Cavs are basically bidding against themselves, you know, does this turn into a Laurie Markkinen in Chicago situation towards the end of the summer? I think that's the the worry if you're a Cavs fan. And, of course, the fact that he's a clutch guy now uh, does that. I don't think that would honestly mess with the negotiations with Garland because I think Garland wants, wants and deserves the bag. But it, it's an interesting discussion. Yeah, I think, you know, I think it goes to, you know, to me, I think the Laurie analogy is pretty good, actually. I think that's it's I mean. I just can't. There's not that many teams with cap space. The cap, the teams with cap space, are probably not interested in locking it up on a questionable guy. You know, one of the things that Fedor mentioned, you know, in terms of the Cavs' view and and just his also getting a, a doing a canvas around the league is the fact that there's a lot of teams that just won't even consider signing a guy like Sexton because he's a six one shooting guard. You know, it's just against their whatever rubric of how they want to build a team to not have an undersized shooting guard on their roster, you know? And so then it goes to who sees him as a point guard and who sees him as a starting point guard in the NBA. You know, we've already seen what that is and it wasn't pretty. So, you know, I, I mean, going back to, you know, God, oh man, going back to, you know, there was that rumor about, um, New York. Remember when the New York Knicks were trying to trade for uh, Sexton and it was like a first rounder or possibly two first rounders for Sexton? And it's like, man, that, I, you know, and people were totally against that trade. You know, Sexton was coming off of a 24 and 4 or 22 and 4 season, but like it was an extremely low ball offer. And, uh, you know, I think that's indicative of how the NBA views Colin Sexton. They don't view him as, you know, I think they view him as an undersized two that can only really survive as a point guard. And if he's a point guard, he's probably at best a backup point guard. So, you know, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like the converse I, argument there is that is he Jordan Poole? You know, is he a guy that can play ooh. 15? But then if he is Jordan Poole. That kind of is a fifteen to eighteen million dollar a year guy. Like he's a bench point guard that can give you points off the bench in a finals game, but that's about all he can do. Not good enough on defense to to start, and dynamic enough as a shooter and playmaker. So, well, honestly, using the pool art, I mean, I feel like using the pool comp actually makes me feel better about <laughs> retaining Sexton. <laughs> Yeah, because I, I mean, I feel like because Poole's a sieve. I mean, like historically been a sieve on defense. I feel like you know Colin finally showed for once, you know, in his life some defensive chops. You know, in the beginning he did? Of the season. when did that happen? Yeah, well, uh, at the beginning of the season here, the first. I, I think games, that had, and, well, I I would put the jury out on that because I think that had a lot more to sure. Do no, I mean that's fair. That's him. fair. But and like, I even remember true. you throwing your phone against the wall because of his. 
brain, boneheaded plays on defense at the beginning of the season. So, well, I mean that's fair. I mean, like it's it could be a total mirage, but I think there was something to him putting a little more effort on the defensive end. I think it was. I think it was actually at the cost of his offense. To be honest, that's why he was so crappy on offense. Well, and there was also the ball change, which affected a lot of guys at the beginning right. of the season. So. Sure. No. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's interesting debate. Uh, and the other kind of part of that debate that's coming up is the NBA draft. And I've heard rumblings that a guy like Wisconsin's Johnny Davis might fall to the Cavs. And if a combo guard like that with a little bit more size fell to the Cavs, um, and he has the upside, Eli, do the Cavs draft the best player available, even if he's another you know combo guard and just say, hey, we're going to get what we can for Sexton? What what do you think happens there? Yeah, actually, I'm pretty high on Johnny Davis. I think he's going to really benefit from NBA spacing because he played at Wisconsin, which is you know an old school lumbering Big Ten program. They slow it down. Heck, they're like known to have like the heaviest basketball ever, so which is a huge home court advantage for them. <laughs> so I think he's actually a player that would benefit tremendously from uh, the NBA game and. I'd be willing to roll the dice with him and let him and uh, Karis LeVert like basically duke it out for playing time uh, for the upcoming season. Um, I think I think no one's going to say it out loud, but everyone's probably expecting Colin Sexton to be the bench spark plug in in that Jordan Poole role because I think that's the only position that's really open for him to do. It's interesting. Um, the question will be: Is it for the Cavs or for somebody else? So, uh, and with that, like, what other rumblings, what's the latest scoop on the 14th spot, which obviously has a lot of uh, bearing on what happens with the previous 13 picks, but what's kind of the rumblings with the Cavs and the 14th pick right now? There's a lot of, a lot of smoke on this Dalen Terry talk. Um, A lot of people are saying that he could be a real big sleeper and, um, you know, could be the pick there at 14 for the Cavs. And I, I think there's enough smoke now to where uh, we can really look into it. And I think other news that's discouraging is, and I think all three of us are somewhat fans of this guy, but the news that Jalen Williams was not really high on the Cavs' radar because of age or fit. It just really didn't seem... Strength of schedule. ...that it made sense. And, you know, Chris, obviously, Chris Francis wrote a good article today asking, pleading with Kobe to reass- reassess that position. But um, that's kind of the other news that a lot of Cavs, Twitter, social media is upset with because I think there are a lot of people who um, see the natural fit with him in the roster. So I think those are kind of two main storylines that are rumbling around 14. Um, I think the Johnny Davis dropping or Adrian Griffin dropping, I think that's some news that's been floating around Griffin more because of injury concerns possibly, but I don't know. I might be hearing something different from the rest of you guys because the people we follow, people you interact with, but that's just kind of the, Eli, uh, you're the person I follow and interact with. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, that's a very, that's an interesting philosophical question about the Cavs and Nate I think you and I had a discussion about this on Twitter you know the Cavs right now have like three to four guys that 
basically are going to do the same thing. They're going to they're going to try to play make, but their playmaking isn't quite there to be a real quote unquote playmaker. They're probably more connectors. Um, they're not. Neither of these guys are good shooters and good defenders. They're one or the other, and they're all slightly like they're all too small to really play the three all the time. So I can see the hesitancy of drafting another guy like that. And unfortunately, in this draft, there's a ton of them that uh, the Cavs are looking at. And that goes, you know, from Brandon, Johnny Davis, A.J. Griffin. Um, you know, obviously, Matherin is not going to drop probably. But all those players are not even six foot six without shoes, although they are long. Um, but it's just an interesting question to look at it as the Cavs, you know, have to make this pick and make a decision on how to, where to go from here. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, I, I kind of talked about it today on Twitter is I'm a little concerned about getting another. I, I actually would like a player that maybe is at least a sophomore or a junior, because I'm not sure the development minutes are there going forward for, you know, a guy that comes out as a true freshman that might be 19 years old and might need some time to play to develop. Um, when does that happen? I don't, I don't know if it does. I don't want to end up with being like Phoenix with the Jalen Smith situation where there's just not enough minutes for him to play and he's kind of stagnating on the bench. And I'm not sure it helps a guy like that who was dominating in college to go dominate in the G League you know, you need to play against the speed and size and strength of the NBA to get better when you are kind of already at that dominating the uh, G League level. So that concerns me a little bit. That's why a guy like Ogbaji from uh, Kansas intrigues me. Uh, a guy like uh, like we talked about, uh, Jalen Williams, uh, who, who kind of has a more mature game. Um, and... And some of these guys like Malachi Branham, um, you know, con- concern me a little bit because they are so young. Now, the other thing I've, I've been hearing is that Malachi Branham may not be there when the Cavs pick. So, um, but to me, somebody good is going to fall, fall there. And you kind of, as long as he's not a six foot three or under point guard, you kind of have to, or another center, you kind of have to take the best player available. Uh, I don't know. Chris, anything to add there? Or do you want to kick us off when we come back from the break? I can kick us off on yeah. when we get back to the break because it's funny you should mention uh, guys under 6'3". Okay, so uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs the Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and I'm here with Chris Francis, Elijah Kim, and Eli's Dishwasher, which you may hear squeaking <laughs> in the background occasionally. Uh, I was trying to figure out what that was earlier, and it was driving me crazy. I didn't know if it was here or there, so... Um, if, if you hear a little squeak, Eli is not on a tramp steamer. It's just his dishwasher. So, um, his Chris, mom will be proud. <laughs> yes, exactly. Hey, at least you're doing dishes. No, she actually is disappointed. I should be using that as a drying rack. Only. Oh, <laughs> wow. Wow. Why is that, Eli? It's a cultural thing. A lot of Asian American families use the dishwasher solely as a drying rack after you wash the dishes by hand. I, I was getting, I was understanding that was what you were implying, but I didn't want to reinforce the stereotype. So I'm glad that you, uh, <laughs> you gave us a little cultural education. there. 
Um, so Chris, um, I have a question for you. Uh, what, uh, what is the six foot? Oh, yes. Guy you're thinking of. <laughs> well, uh, according to Cavs Twitter, uh, legend, Braden Todd, uh, he has been keeping track of a list of, uh, workouts that the Cavs have been conducting and just hot off the press a few hours ago. It was said that Kendall Brown of Baylor University, he's a wing player from Baylor University, and Kennedy Chandler of Tennessee, the preeminent point guard prospect of this draft, is coming in for a visit with the Cavs. Uh, what's notable about Kennedy Chandler is that he is, I believe, six foot zero with shoes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, is nonetheless uh, one of the best uh, point guard prospects in this draft and uh, will be coming in for a visit. So uh, it's kind of funny that uh, we were just talking a lot of the guys that they had bringing, bringing in are, you know, of that uh, wing perimeter with size variety, but uh, leaving no stone unturned, uh, they will be scouting out uh, Kennedy Chandler, um, who – you know, I mentioned his name a month ago uh, as a potential uh, guy you could pick at 14 to compete immediately for a backup point guard position. I think he's that good. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, um, he's a basketball genius. I don't think that's too far to say. Uh, the questions about him uh, surround his size um, and his shooting. Uh, but there's absolutely no question about his defensive uh, want to and his passing abilities and his mid-range capabilities and his ability to get to the paint so and create a place for others. So it's an interesting uh, – it's a little bit of a zag uh, where we've seen a parade of, you know, 6'6 six, six to 6'8 six, guys come into the Cavs facility. We're going to have a – we're going to have a six-foot guy, six-foot-nothing guy come in uh, just for, you know, just for a workout. Somewhere Dan Gilbert is smiling. <laughs> yes, the That's the, a wrap. It's, it's right. We're taking him with the 14th of all <laughs> Call oh, it now. Call it now. Wow. He's 5'11". Hot take shoes. alert. <laughs> Hot take alert. Um, but going back to the, you know, going back to the previous point you made, Nate, about uh, guys with, you know, a little bit of age to them. My thing is that I, I want a guy that has production, that he's done something on the court prior to getting to the Cavs here. I think production, you know, we keep on hearing this talk around the Cavs, especially, you know, from Fedor's reporting about, oh, the Cavs are looking for upside, upside. We want we want a guy who can, you know, possibly break out and be a star, you know, and uh, that's that's what they're uh, – that's the reason for casting a wide net with guys like Guzman Dieng or, you know, uh, or uh, Jeremy Sohan or – um, I'm forgetting names of Jovich, maybe, I don't know who else. Kendall Brown, obviously. Have they brought in that. Jovich? Um, I don't know if they worked him out or I don't, uh, let me check the list here. Um, there is a handy list here. No, they have not, uh, not according to any reporting. Well, that's um, because he's taller than six foot. So, oh, there you go. So, <laughs> but you know, my thing is that, you know, with stars and trying to find a star, generally speaking, it's my belief that They've done something productive on the court prior to getting to the NBA. There's a sign that says this guy is a is making things happen on a basketball court, and that's the reason why he's going to be a star. So you know, I don't. You know, I think the mistake with a guy like you know, I think one guy that violated that rule, for instance, was Isaac Okoro. 
You know, he had some nice advanced tests, but when you look at the production as a whole, he was doing very little on a basketball court to be productive. You know, he wasn't really getting five, six rebounds a game. He wasn't turning in three, four assists a game. He wasn't getting more than 10 points a game. You know, uh, as far as I remember, I'm going off memory, but I just want a guy that's been productive on a basketball court. I think that's an indicator of star potential is, you know, the Lucas, the LeBrons, the whoever's, you know, you go on down the list. They were productive. You know, it was obvious they were doing something on a basketball court, you know, and that, that made was people leading think, to winning. Yeah, exactly. But exactly. Thank my, you. My counter to that, though, with the Coro specifically, is that he's, I don't think anyone was projecting him to be a star. And ironically, even though he has some terror, not, ter- they're not bad raw stats. But his on-off and advanced stats are actually still really good. So for some no, reason, fair. for him, it like still translates in, even in the NBA where he's not putting up any. He's like you know how Tony Snow has like his rumors. You know <laughs> he has zero 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 zero. Like he's the, the first the player. famous Tony Snow yeah. stat line. <laughs> he was like the only player to play like twenty-five minutes and register no stats. Obviously, Okoro's not to that level, but he had like a plus six net rating. Um, or a plus six per 100 possessions last year. And you wouldn't think that based on his like eight points per game, you know? So I push back a little bit on the Coro thing, but I do understand where it's coming from. And that's where a guy like Usman Dieng scares the living crap out of me because he does not have any statistical evidence that he can be a pick and roll like ex- expert besides, you know, the four highlights of the eight assists he had in like three games. <laughs> like that's that's yeah. that's what scares me because he only has twelve games playing in that league. And granted, he did play better, but he averaged like two assists per game during this like so-called better half of the season. Well, that's what scares me with a guy like Dalen Terry because you're taking a guy who was a role player in college, and are you drafting another role player with the 14th pick? That to me seems like a very suspect move. If you if you're drafting a role player with a 14th pick, why don't you draft a role player that does a role that your team actually needs, like shooting? You know, <laughs> do the Cavs need another playmaker? Nominally, yes. Do they need another playmaker who's 170 pounds and isn't going to be able to guard anybody for two years and can't isn't a great shooter? I don't think so. You know, that that to me is, like, really strange. Now, I do think there is a lot of opportunity to trade back into the first round in this draft, um, especially with, you know, teams like uh, Oklahoma City and San Antonio and some of these well, teams. Oklahoma that, City already traded. but uh, Yeah, but Dallas, they still have more picks. Yeah, but, like, you, Dallas is out. They don't want to add any payroll. They're, like, 26. Right. Yeah, teams like exactly. That, for sure. Exactly. So, you know, that to me, if if you take a Dalen Terry there, that's great. Um, so I don't know. I one of the other things that's been bothering me a lot about the Cavs lately, and, and just NBA teams in general, is you know, the the fan base of the Cavs, I kind of feel like doesn't understand where they are as a team in that there's just not going to be the developmental minutes there anymore if you think this team is an up-and-coming playoff team. And if you are an up-and-coming playoff team, you have to take a guy that fits a role. 
And you have to take a guy that fits a role your team needs. That's why later round draft picks are often specialists like rebounding specialists or shooting specialists or, you know, defensive wing off the bench specialists. There is a role that they envision this guy can play. And it's not just, oh, we're looking for long-term home run potential. I, I think the Cavs being at 14th, they're kind of on the fence of whether they want a role player or whether they want to, you know, swing for the fences. I think it's really hard to develop a, a player as a high-level swing for the fences player given where the Cavs are as an org right now because that guy needs a lot of minutes and those minutes aren't going to be there if they're trying to win games. And so I'm, I'm a little bit with you. I want to see – that's why I think like a guy like Abaji would be perfect because clearly that guy you can run at the very least a whole bench offense about around his ability to catch and shoot and come around screens and do all that. Um, I'm not sure a guy like, you know, Jalen or Dalen Terry, where do you play him? Like, do you just have him run your G League team? Because that's what it seems like to me. Like, I don't want the Cavs to get another uh, Lamar Stevens, who's a nice guy who tries hard and never really impacts a basketball game because he doesn't really have a skill set or a size or an archetype that fits in the NBA and he can't shoot. You know, don't give me any guys unless they're 7-1 and can dunk from the free throw line. Don't give me any more guys that can't shoot. <laughs> no, I mean, you're, pre- you're, you're preaching to the choir here because my thing is, you know, if if we're talking the essence of the team is uh, Tower City with Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, and Darius Garland at point guard, uh, you know, we need guys – who could space the floor for our two bigs, and we need guys that are willing to pass to our two bigs to make them to to maximize uh, their potential in terms of uh, being two way factors, being a a, a true two way offense, and, and letting Mobley and Jared Allen's offensive games blossom together. Well, and not um, just pass to the two bigs. Pass to Garland, too, who, if the Cavs right. can utilize him as a shooter the way that the Warriors Steph uses Steph Curry, it's Absolutely. like even better. A secondary playmaker is so critical, or tertiary playmaker, even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And so I I want unselfish perimeter players that can shoot. to, And that's kind of to what you're saying, Nate, is the, that's the role that's open for this team, is finding guys that can run a pick and roll and spot up shoot and is unselfish, willing to pass to all of our key players, which... Or know, a 3 core. and D guy whose gravity can open up the offense. Right, right. All right, can I can I answer my... No, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> of course you can't, Eli. So for me, I'm tired <laughs> I'm of... Just, I'm sorry, I just heard the squeak in the background. No, you're good. You're and good. all I can think of is Eli's mom. <laughs> <laughs> Disappointed in him that yeah. the dishwasher is running. Um. But for me, I'm tired of these undersized threes. I mean, that's basically the stance I'm at. And if we're gonna, if the Cavs are really going to embrace Tower City, I'm kind of getting swayed into bigger guys who can pass, defend, or do two out of the three: pass, defend, shoot. And they're just obviously, if they could do all three, they would be selected in the top five. So guys like. Uh, 
like uh, Jeremy Sohan have actually kind of, in my mind, risen up the board for me. Um, and he's a guy that could possibly drop because he is a wonky fit. I thought you hated him. So that's where I'm coming around a little bit. No, I didn't hate him. Chris hated him. Yeah, I know. That's me. Yeah, that's definitely. Okay. Eli's been. Yeah. Um, I, I just okay. hate people with hair like uh, Kuzma. So I get that. <laughs> I cannot defend that at all. But hear me out. The reason, like, I'm kind of warming up him, I'm kind of warming up the guy like him is he shot 37% catch and shoot. So I don't think his jumper is completely broken. He can defend. I think Chris would admit that he can defend pretty well. Oh, yeah. Even on the perimeter. He's definitely, and, I mean, he's a better prospect than Akora, you know, coming out. Yeah. So. And he can, and then I'm not going to say his passing stats are great. I don't think he has given. He's been given the opportunity to run the offense at all, but I do think there are enough flashes to where he could guard, you know, the opposing threes and play make a little and make some spot of threes. And there's an upside to him. I think that's pretty unique. Um, I'd rather take a swing on a guy who's six nine and does all that stuff than a guy who is, you know, six five. Another guy that's six five. And does the same thing, which is kind of like Johnny Davis, even though I'm a little bit higher on him because I think his game is a little bit better for the NBA. So I'm like really torn on all these guys because there's just some kind of like fatal flaw against my team building guide, you know, for the Cavs, especially around Mobley and Garland and Allen. So, uh, I mean, we can dive into specific prospects if you want, but Sohan is the one that. For me lately, I'm like more optimistic about as a fit. And I think um, if there's a player, I guess, on the other side where I'm a little bit less optimistic, it's uh, there's a lot of them. So we can go through them if we want. But um, let's th- I'm sticking with Sohan as my guy who's kind of a unique guy that could fit the Cavs. Chris, do you have a guy like that? Well, and with that, I'll just say that Sohan shot 59% from the free throw line, and we'll just leave it at that, and we will let Chris Francis weigh in in the second hour here, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, Elijah Kim, Chris Francis. Chris, uh, give us the rebuttal to Eli there. Uh, who do you – who's growing on you? Who is um, – who do you hate? <laughs> and who has bad hair? <laughs> well, to to Eli's point about you know finding a legitimate six eight guy, six, you know a legitimate wing prospect that's going to be a, you know be able to play the three. You know, I'll go back to Tari Eason. You know, you're, that's a guy who I think uh, can play the three. He can shoot. He has better. You know, he has uh, historically been a better shooter than. Uh, Sohan or Kendall Brown or, you know, uh, probably, uh, well, I mean, uh, even he's comparable to guys like Dale and Terry, to be honest. And, you know, he's a, a legitimate, a legitimate six, eight. He's a fierce defender, a massively, you know, one of the most productive defenders in the entire NCAA, you know, and he's a little bit older to your point, Nate, about getting a guy who's a little bit more mature, a little bit ready, you know, more ready to play. You know, he needs to be able to come in and be a rotation guy, I think. You know, you're hoping to get a rotation guy, uh, you know, with that 14th pick on a playoff team. 
that can actually compete, possibly. Can he compete against Karis LeVert? Can he compete against Laurie at the three? Can he compete against Wade and Stevens at the three? Can he compete against, uh, you know, Sexton and LeVert, you know, whatever the case is, you know, can he compete on the wing? And so I feel like Tari Eason's that blend of kind of a upperclassman guy or a late, late bloomer guy that's a little bit more mature, but also has the upside. You know, I think he has untapped potential. Um, so that's the way I would go as, as to oppose, uh, as opposed to a Jeremy Sohan, um, who's a little bit, you know, there's an argument that he's probably higher upside, but I'm also more wary of the lack of production with him. Um, you know, and just the, looking at the the locks, I like his hair a lot better than Sohan. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. There you go, there you go. And and just you, you look at his. I mean, he's he's just built. You know, six eight two twenty. You know, he's like ideal size for uh, the modern you know NBA three. So I, I, you know, my my confidence in him hasn't wavered, even though there's been reports about bad workouts or bad interviews. Uh, you know, I, all I care about is what is he doing on the court and what he did on the court is good enough for me. Um, what about you, Eli? What's your, um, what, what are you hearing about Tari Eason? No, I think, uh, I think those reports are coming out that he isn't working out well, but I actually, Eason's really interesting because his shot is pretty gross looking, but he shot like 35% from three and he shoots 80% from the free throw line. So I think I, I, I'm on the I'm on the camp that his shooting motion, people making a big deal about it, probably don't know ball. It's totally fine. I don't get I, I it boggles my mind why everybody's saying that he's a bad shooter when he, like you just said, 35 percent from three and 80 percent career from the line. The sh- I don't understand. It's like it's not Marion. It's not Sean Marion. It's not Michael Kidd Gilchrist. It's not Lonzo Ball. It looks perfectly fine to me. I, I just don't understand. I don't. I don't get it. I don't get it. I, I continue, Eli. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. No, I'm. I'm getting on my soapbox. I'm. I, you know, that's my old man rant for today. I'm sick of these people on Twitter talking about shooting motions when a guy shoots eighty percent from the free throw line. I'm sick of it. It needs to end. No, I agree. His <laughs> the results definitely speak uh, speak well enough. Um, as a shooting prospect. So I actually like Eason. He's still pretty high on my board. Um, he would fit, in my mind, he would fit perfectly with the Cavs in that Tower City lineup. He He's one of the few guys that I think actually could still start for the Cavs if they take him um, because of the fit being so good. Ooh, I like that. That's a, um, that's a spicy take right there. Yeah, and I, I actually think... Um, I really, he's, he's another guy that has climbed up my board. Do you buy the Pat Williams like comps? I do. Um, I think he's a little bit less. He has a little less wiggle, I would say. Um, he doesn't have any offensive shape with the ball, but I think he moves well enough laterally. Now, yeah, he's a really straight line driver, for sure. Correct. But, you know, Pat Williams, to me, is kind of an interesting comp because I don't think I've, like, he hasn't played that much, I feel like. So... Yeah. Uh, another comp I like is like DeAndre Hunter, because um, remember he had all those questions about his shooting motion looking like robotic, even though he shot similar numbers in college. So that's you know, and obviously I think Pat Williams and DeAndre Hunter get comped a lot together. Um, so I think that comp is valid, but obviously like he's that. a little lesser. 
Yeah, I like that comp too. And and what I'll say about both of those comps is, you know, if you compare college production, I think I'm taking Eason over both of those guys. Would you guys? I think I would take Eason over <laughs> Williams. Eli, a, a biker rally. Yeah, there's a motorcycle that's sped by my apartment. This podcast pre- presented by Sturgis. <laughs> but um, I think he had better numbers uh, than Pat Williams in college for sure. And they, it's ironic because they both like came off the bench. Hunter is unique because um, his team was so good, so I think his advanced stats look a lot better. But, I mean, I can see that argument for them, and I think that's why it's baffling to me that Eason is, like, dropping off boards right now. Amen. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. I It's still ridiculous that he's – we're talking about on that 14, and people think he's slipping farther. You know, I just – well, the other side I mean, of that is maybe is the Cavs on? can come back and get him later in the first round. Hey, hey, I, I don't know. mind. I don't buy the but, hook or buy the crook. I, I, you know, and for a team like the Cavs that have been burned by a uh, guy who, you know, didn't impress off the court, uh, like, uh, you know, Kevin Porter Jr., um, maybe that, uh, m- maybe they're a little gun shy there. But, you know, to me, if. If you're gun shy about that, why you aren't looking? I, I'm still baffled they're not looking at Jalen Williams because yeah, he's six six, but with a seven two wingspan and the athleticism he has, like I feel like he's just scratched the surface of what he can do. Like if they can work on his twitch a little bit and make him a little bit more explosive, which everything from his um, you know athletic profile makes you feel like that could definitely be a possibility. He could be a very special player, and I. I hundred yeah, 100% agree. I've not seen – the last guy I saw that could pass with both hands and play make and he's a better finisher and shooter than Josh Giddy was and he looks every bit the passer that Josh Giddy was. So I'm like a little baffled why this guy isn't like a lock lottery pick. And I just – my hope is that it's all smoke from Kobe. Like this is the guy he wants and he worked him out in secret. <laughs> I love that. Yes, let's go with that. That's uh, that brings true, me hope and joy. <laughs> I mean, I and I'm with you a little bit, Eli, in that you know a true six eight six nine three is kind of the ideal, but six six with a seven two wins, wingspan, you know, I can live with that. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll be fine with that and. To me, he's kind of the player that we've all been talking about if you buy his jump shot. And he's another guy where people are like, oh, his jump shot doesn't look that good. And I'm like, his jump shot looks fine. <laughs> you know. I, he, I, I think he's an 80% career shooter too. What is with people? Like, they, I, I mean, like, if you shoot 80% free throws, you are literally a great shooter. Like, you, ha- there's no question about your touch whatsoever if you're yeah. over 80% threshold. Yeah. I, I And, yeah. I don't know. What do you guys think about Baji? Because I think he's like, he, he might have the highest floor in the draft to me. I mean, I wouldn't be mad about Baji, but I think that the non-passing component really hurts him, uh, especially if we're talking about maximizing 
uh, if we're talking about maximizing our core of Mobley and Allen, especially, you know, in pick and roll play and dives. And I mean, he, and he like the the scouting report has said he has the vision of a young buddy healed. <laughs> Ooh, wow, <laughs> wow, that wow, I, that's a backhanded compliment if I ever <laughs> yeah. heard one. <laughs> yeah, you know, going. I just checked Jalen Williams. Yeah, set. Okay, close enough. He was eighty-one percent this year and seventy-eight percent. 78.5% for his career. Yeah. I mean, that to me is – and a guy who looks completely ambidextrous, plus his handle. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys have seen his handle. His handle is tight as heck. Oh, yeah. I mean, you did know. you see the highlights that I posted where he cooked yeah. Chet Holmgren? Oh, yeah. I mean, Wait. it was just that he embarrassed Chet Holmgren. We're talking I don't Chet understand. I feel yeah. like he's one of those guys that everybody is out thinking themselves on. But and the Tari Eason thing is really interesting to me because – it's like, do you trust the game film or do you trust your workouts and interviews? And I'm not wild about guys that don't do a lot in college and then work out really well um, or interview really well. Like, to me, it's like, I want to see the resume. You know, I want you to prove that you've done this. And, you know, Atari Eason and a Jalen Williams have both done that a little. Tari Eason, oh, it's really only been like one season though, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. really busted out at LSU for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't I know. mean, but he was a defensive. I mean, he was, he was strong defensively at Cincinnati still. Yeah. So I'll ask you guys another question. If there was a guy that realistically could drop to the Cavs, um, who would that be? And would it, uh, be enough to sway you off your preferred pick for the Cavs? And I'll start with you, Eli. I think the only player that would get me off, you know, Eason um, or Sohan or Johnny Davis, I think it'd probably be, I think it has to be A.J. Griffin, um, just because I think there is so much potential with him. But the floor is pretty high because he just showed how good of a shooter he was with the Duke team. And, you know, that could be his role at the beginning, being just a knockdown shooter in the corner. And then the rest of his offensive game, creating his own bucket, playmaking a little bit more. Um, you know, that type of player just I'm running to the podium for a pick like that. So that's yeah, I mean, probably the one player I would do. He's a more well, yeah, the injury thing really scares me. Because the Cavs don't need more guys. I think the Cavs have one of the worst training staffs in the league, the way they manage injuries. But I, it's still like, man, if he's got top five potential and he's there at 14, you almost can't take him. You almost can't not take him. So, and I know Chris loves him because of Duke. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, of course, of course. Uh, but you can't pick the same answer because that'd be a really boring <laughs> podcast. No, no. I, I mean, to me, I think. Johnny Davis is probably the guy because of his two because of his proven two way potential. Um, I think that uh, you know he carried a huge offensive load uh, in Wisconsin his sophomore year. Um, he's a terror on defense. I think that's going to translate to his offense. I think he's I think he's unselfish enough. I think he can learn how to run a pick and roll. I think he can learn how to be a secondary playmaker. Um, and, uh, and I think he, I think his jumper is projectable. I mean, I know he didn't shoot a great three point percentage, but I think it was, 
massive volume, one, um, and two, he's a great free throw shooter, so I trust that he could extend his range. So that's probably a guy, but I mean, the thing of it is, is, I mean, I'm still higher on Branham, Eason, or Jalen Williams. So, I mean, it's hard for me to say a guy because I've got all three of those guys ahead of a guy like Davis, for instance. Interesting. Uh, so my guy, obviously, I think Keegan Murray was is my dream, but I don't think he's ever going to fall that far. Um, man, it, it's really tough. I part of me is like I feel like Shaden Sharp could fall out Ooh. of the out of to the end of the line. Well, the guy hasn't played in a year. No, like, you're right. You're absolutely he, right. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people have him going to Portland just because you know he's kind of a long term play for Portland. I'm, I'm like, eh. Nate, this is going exactly against the last segment, though. What? what? No, <laughs> no, 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 I'm, I, I'm, I'm not arguing with you. I would say I would still probably have to pass on him is what, where I was going with that. But that, I, I, I can see where you're, where you're coming from. Um, the what, other... What's ironic about this is, Nate, I think it's a brilliant idea that I could actually – you've actually talked me into this and now <laughs> you've, already, you've already violated your own rules. So I'm, I'm all well, I am a study in contradiction. So, um, yeah, I mean, to me, that guy is Keegan Murray. I don't think he's ever dropping. Uh, Johnny Davis is a maybe there. I, I think there's still a chance Dyson Daniels drops down. I don't love Dyson Daniels just because he's kind of a featherweight. But, um, you know, it, yeah, I'm going to agree with Eli that Adrian Dr- AJ Griffin is the dream to me. And um, if they can't get him, I really like Jalen Williams there. And then Malachi Branham, probably the next guy up there. But I, I don't think he fits what the Cavs need right now. Um, I, and I don't think Matt, you're getting any mat- returns on Malachi Branham for two or three years. So, anyway. And with that, uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs the Podcast. I'm Nate Smith. I'm here with Chris Francis and Elijah Kim's dishwasher. And uh, we're talking Cavs draft. And, you know, my next question up for you guys is if the Cavs are sitting there at, what are they, at 39 and 59, 58, if the Cavs were able to trade back into the latter part of the first round, or if there's a guy that you think is going to be sitting there at 39, that would be your dream guy. Uh, who would that be, and why? <laughs> and uh, I know uh, who your guy is, Chris Francis, and that's Keegan Murray. Or Keegan Murray. Oh wait, well, no, no, no not, not at Keegan Murray. Not uh, at 39, or no, not uh, at 39. No, I, I Keon totally, Ellis. Ke- Keon Ellis. Yeah, sorry. I, I almost made it through a podcast without butchering a name. But. <laughs> well, <laughs> let, no, let, let me uh, correct. But my streak here. remains intact. I'm even better than uh, than Steph. So, no, let me let me create. Keon Ellis is a guy I'd love. Right now, he's projected on the consensus board at 58. So that's a guy. You know, I think they definitely that that's the dream at 58. Um, if you're talking about a guy that's falling to 39. I mean, to me, there's two clear targets. Uh, I'm, you know, to me, it's Christian Braun is uh, is the obvious one. Um, he's ranked at 34 right now. The Cavs worked him out, I believe, at the combine. 
Um, he's 6'7 in shoes, elite athleticism, can shoot, won the national championship. He's an older guy. He was the guy that they went to over Ekbaji down the stretch against North Carolina who won them the game. Yeah, so, and we talked about this on our very first draft podcast. So. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I was a, I'm an advocate. You know, I, I even said probably at that time, I wouldn't be mad at them. I wouldn't be mad at taking Christian Braun at 14. That's how much I believe in him. But apparently, you know, he's uh, he's a target at 39. I think that would be a massive coup. I, could, I, would, I would not believe, I do not believe, I still do not believe he'll last to 39. But if he does, oh my God, that would be, that would make up for taking a guy. I, I wouldn't even care who you took at 14 then if you're getting nice. Christian Braun at 39. So, it's like the year the Cavs got Boozer in the second round. There you go. There you go. Or Joe, uh, uh, smoking Joe Harris. You know, Guzman and Christian Braun. You'd be okay with that draft? <laughs> I mean, oh my god. I mean, I think that's the exception that proves the rule. <laughs> <laughs> well, so here's here would is there a chance Guzman Dieng would slip to a spot in the twenties where the Cavs could grab him? There's a chance, uh, although he's been invited to the green room, as far as I know. Oh, okay. uh, he's, uh, yeah, there's talk of him going in the lottery, right? Yeah, there, there's so much top 10 buzz about it. I just don't get it, but I mean, I guess that's the desperation of winning. Well, I mean, you know New York loves their French their French busts, so. <laughs> get their asses. <laughs> so. James Dolan, eat your heart out. Yeah, I mean, they, you got Frank, Frankie Longarms and uh, Frank. Hey, let's not bust on him. He would, he made it to the conference champion. He made hey, it to no, the conference he, finals. Well, yeah, but not with the team that drafted him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you got to love guys that pan out in year six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But, you know, when you draft guys, you want them to be good for you, not the next team that you, That's a fair they're point. on. Yeah. Um, what about you, Eli? And, and you can't say Jake LaRavia. Oh, darn it. <laughs> Although I, I like Jake LaRavia too. Oh I think man. I think we all do. Role player. Yeah. 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 We're all in on him. Uh, my new player that to the pod is an Italian sharpshooter. Gabriel Crociva. Is he uh, the guy that, um, uh, Mac on Twitter was, uh, pimping the other day? Yeah, Mac really likes him. Um, he's really interesting because he's like six, almost six eight, but he's very svelte. He's only a one hundred ninety pounds. Uh, great shooting form, but able to dunk. So he has great straight line speed. Not a lot of wiggle, um, admittedly. So defense might be a little tough, but you know he he might be able to be a little connector. Definitely not a playmaker, but you know moves the ball, makes great cuts. Finishes in transition, so he's a guy at 39 that fits kind of that, you know, sharpshooter role player. Um, you know, he's going to play hard, but probably not lock down anybody. Um, but that's kind of a name at 39 that has really grown on me and intrigued me a lot. Um, in addition to obviously my Wake Forest guys, but um, if there's a player I would trade into the late lottery or the late first round for, so like I'm thinking the pick that makes the most sense in the NBA to trade for is probably the Mavericks pick because they don't want 
you know, that kind of cost. They don't need a player in that role, and they probably don't want to tie up guaranteed money for four years or two years. They actually um, do need more players, but they don't want to pay them. <laughs> correct. Um, but, uh, you know, I, ironically, that's where I'm okay, like, taking a swing at a guy like Dale and Terry or Bo Champ. Because those guys are good athletes. They probably could be better. I mean, if, if, especially Terry, because Terry had to concede a lot, I feel like, to Matherin this year. If he doesn't have to do that, I think his role is a lot better. He scores a lot more, um, can play more points and really work on his playmaking. So that, those two guys, I see the intrigue, but I'm just not sold at 14. But at 26 through 30, I'm all, all for taking that swing and going back into the first round and trying to draft those guys. Well, I think the other spot that is very gettable is probably 25, San Antonio, because they have the ninth and 20th pick, and then they have uh, picks in the, a pick in the second round as well at 38. So to me, it's like I, I don't think they want to have four draft picks, and I think they don't want to have three first-rounders, so I think 25 is probably available as well. Um, I think the Cavs... Um, uh, the guy I like there, if he falls, would be Nikola Jovic, uh, the Jover. I think he's got a real intriguing potential as a, uh, you know, Lori Markinen type, uh, big man, sharpshooter, connector player, um, who, who's got some upside in probably the non athletic parts of the game. And just because these Serbian, uh, you know, these Eastern European players just seem to kind of come from out of nowhere and uh, have the kind of the fundamentals to, to really see the game really well. So I would definitely take a flyer on a guy like that uh, as a long-term, you know, backup 3-4, you know, embracing that Tower City mentality. Um, or, you know, 3-4-5. So that's, I, I'm all in on that. Uh, that that's mine. Um, and then, you know, post, uh, I like Andrew Nemhard with the 58 pick. Uh, the other, there's some other guys there. A lot of people are thinking that, um, we're going to see Mobley's brother. I can't remember his first name. Um, Isaiah. Isaiah Mobley as probably a undrafted free agent with the Cavs. Um, and maybe on a two way deal. Um, I, I certainly would love that. Uh, I actually think he has got a lot of upside as a as a solid big role player. Um, you know, every year there's a ton of guys that never pan out in the second round or late first round, and then there's a ton of guys that are you know four year seniors, journeymen who just know how to play basketball, come in and they're in the NBA for eight or nine years. And he kind of strikes me as a guy like that uh, who can just come in and be in for eight or nine years. So. It should be interesting. I think this is a lot deeper draft. I don't think it's as nearly as top-heavy as the last year's draft, but I think there's a lot of intriguing prospects. So it's going to be fun to see how all this shakes out. And there's going to be a lot of teams that – I'm actually surprised there isn't more buzz about uh, foreign guys as draft and stash just with as many teams as have a ton of draft picks and don't really know what to do with them. But I also think you see a lot of second round players drafted to get G league contracts. So 
And I, I would say the one other guy I kind of am intrigued by is Ron Harper Jr. just because of the Cavs connection. So <laughs> anyway, um, uh, anything else to add on the draft or free agency or recent Cavs news? Um, Eli, anything I'm missing that we haven't covered so far in this podcast? Nope. Um, I don't know if we covered, you know, obviously there was a coaching change. Oh, yeah, I did uh, want to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, we we added Luke Walton, uh, and I think um, Adam – oh, gosh, what's Adam's last name? Cathcart? Cathcart, yeah, Adam Cathcart um, did a nice write-up on him. And it was very interesting that, you know, Adam kind of didn't cover the sexual assault allegations that were dropped and kind of never went anywhere. And, you know, I'm going to kind of do the same uh, – I, I don't know what's going on there, but I'm assuming the Cavs did their due diligence. But I thought it was extremely interesting that uh, Buck um, – oh, what's his first name? Greg Buck. Greg, Greg Buckner uh, was promoted to associate head coach. And I honestly think that probably had a lot to do with the Walton hiring and that they wanted to make it clear that he was the top assistant, kind of the guy in waiting if something happened to JB. Um because I know I had the perception that Walton was the coach uh, kind of in waiting if something happened to JB. So I think they did a nice job of clearing that up. And, and Buckner certainly earned it. Um, any, any thoughts on that, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan. I mean, I'm, I'm with uh, our, uh, our good friend, Evil Genius. Uh, well, I'm on, the, I'm on the buck train for sure. Like, I think he's... Uh, I think he's an impressive individual. Every time he's spoken publicly, uh, he knows the game well. He he's a no, he's a non BS type of guy. He he'll tell. He reminds me of Ime Udoka, actually. You know of the of the Boston Celtics in terms of just demeanor and tell it like it is candor. You know, uh, he's a guy that doesn't sugarcoat anything, and he knows he knows the game. So. I, I couldn't be more thrilled for him. Uh, and, I, you know, it's interesting you brought up the, you know, the idea of perception and, you know, I guess good on the Cavs for clearing that up. Because, I, I mean, I definitely would rather see Buck uh, at the second seat than uh, Walton. That's for damn sure. You know, I I think Walton has, uh, you know, he's pretty much been, uh, I would say, a journeyman coach at this point. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure, that, you know. Hopefully he, he brings something positive to the table, but I mean, I, I kind of see it as a, you know, uh, as a whatever move, you know, a non-consequential move. But did he Buck, coach the Lakers too? I think he did, didn't he? Yeah, he coached the Lakers in like the garbage Kobe era. Right? Man, wow. I kind of feel bad for him that way. But yeah, you know, I mean, but. <laughs> he was he was with two of the worst organizations in the in the NBA. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I can't really. I got to take his head coach record with a grain of salt. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, I was just not, I'm unmoved either way about him. But with Buckner, he's a guy, I think he's going to be a future head coach. I think somebody will give him a chance, should give him a chance in the future. I think, I think he's a, I think he's a smart guy and I think he's a future head coach in waiting. Nice. And with that, uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs, the podcast. I'm Nate Smith and I'm here with Chris Francis and Elijah Kim, and, and we do have a breaking report, right, Eli? Yes, the uh, the dishwasher's task is completed. It's uh, <laughs> no longer going to squeak anymore back there. <laughs> I got to ask you, what brand? 
I don't know, actually. It's uh, I rent an apartment still, so that's that, I've never heard of that brand. Actually, I have heard of that brand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice, nice. Um, so, yeah, uh, did you have anything you wanted to add on Buckner? No, I mean, to be honest, I was also a little surprised that they ended up promoting Buckner over, um, you know, just giving it to Luke Walton because I thought that was what was going to happen. Um, so it's good to see another guy kind of make it through the ranks to get um, promoted versus, you know, um, hiring an outsider, especially to kind of keep the continuity of the staff, especially at top. So um, good for Buckner to get that promotion. And I do agree that it's a good PR move overall, too, because it wouldn't look good if you bring in this guy who does have, you know, some allegations against him in the past. So. Uh, nothing crazy to report, but just think it's a solid move and just continues the theme of, uh, you know, promoting within, you know, Gamzee getting the GM job, Kobe Altman finally getting president of basketball operations job. So I think it's just we, a good trend. We have some organizational team. stability finally, huh? Yeah, you better knock on some wood because we have, the Cavs have not had that stability in a very long time, maybe ever. <laughs> Dan, Dan, don't get itchy. Yeah, and I did want to ask you guys about, you know, something that's a little weird this year. Um, when does uh, free agency does not start until August 2nd this year? Oh, really? Yeah, that's what I'm reading. Is that correct, Eli? Yeah, teams begin negotiations with free agents starting on August 2nd. Interesting. Which, to me, is like... A terrible idea because there's already so much tampering going on that um, if you're not starting the league till August 2nd, all these contracts are going to be announced like within the first 10 minutes um, uh, after after the draft. So that is super weird. Um, and then there's another guy I would love the Cavs to keep an eye on as a, uh, you know, a free agent coach, and that is uh, the Utah Jazz assistant who was the very first charge coach um, who was also up for, uh, you know, the Jazz head coach position now that, um, uh, what's his name, walked away. Quinn Snyder uh, just uh, walked away from the Jazz, and that is Alex Jensen. Uh, but unfortunately, with that Luke Walton signing, I, I feel like that's there's probably too much going on there. But I, I really like Alex Jensen. And I like what he does for offense. Um, I would not be surprised to see him end up as the Jazz head coach. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, and given that it's August 2nd, it's probably a little early to talk about free agency. But I'll just have you guys give me, you know, one free agency or trade target that – we haven't talked about that you'd like to hear, like to maybe have the Cavs consider. Uh, Chris. Well. <laughs> Just coming at you out of the blue. Wow. Uh, I mean, I think they should go big. I mean, they should be targeting Zach Levine or Woo! Bradley Beal. Like, oh, what are we messing around for? I don't think they have a shot here? at Beal, but. Well, we, we got the secret weapon, Darius Garland. <laughs> His boys well, with uh, Bradley Beal played on his AAU team. Well, there you so, go. So we got the secret weapon. So get it done, DG. Okay, Start what about you, Eli? <laughs> uh, for me, I would love to go big. But if we're 
if I want to stay a little bit more realistic, how about we go for a guy like Buddy Buckets from Indiana. <laughs> Actually, or Woo-hoo. Malcolm Brogdon. Oh, That'd be another man. target that I would like. I love Malcolm Brogdon. He's just never healthy. I agree. But yeah, that, that's my worry. We, if, if they had Phoenix's training staff, that's my free agency um, uh, goal is to go hire Phoenix's training staff away from Robert Sarver. Okay. Could happen. <laughs> Sorry. What were you saying, Eli? No, I just think that uh, I think the Cavs are due for a good injury season. So let's just get Gordon Hayward and uh, <laughs> Gordon Hayward and Malcolm Brogdon. Let's see the let's see that finals. Uh, I'm going bogey. I'm going Bojan Bogdanovic from Utah. I think Utah is going to be shedding some salary and uh, a proven shooter uh, who can start at the two or the three would be a nice addition for the Cavs. So, and uh, with that, uh, I think we're. Uh, do we do we have anything else on the agenda? I wanted to uh, give you guys. You guys got anything to pitch? I do not. I do nothing. Okay, Eli, give us a pitch. I don't think. And, and is, it, is it is it the Squid Game game show they just announced today? No, no. I think that's going to be a terrible idea. <laughs> but I'm sure. I mean, this is a little bit behind. But Stranger Things season four. I don't know if you guys are okay. Things so. Games. So, Chris, have you watched it? No, I have not. Oh. Never seen an episode. Okay, so I feel like... I do have a pitch. I'll, I'll let you oh, know. Oh, you've never seen an episode, so you don't care about spoilers? No, I do Okay, not. Go ahead. so... Go, spoil I'll, away. Go ahead, Eli. Just lay it all out, because spoiler alert, tune out now if you don't want to talk about Stranger Things, because I'm right there with you, Eli. It's one of my favorite shows. I thought this season was the greatest season of the show. Um unbelievable uh, kind of transition from these kids. They're now like basically almost adults. Just the darkness of it, the gore is actually scary and creepy. And that scene with uh, Billy running up that hill. I don't know if you saw the article, but that oh, yeah. song is now like top five yeah. uh, right now. And the, they try to the top movie the is Top Gun and the top song is Kate Bush and we're back and we're in a war with Russia. It's 1984 <laughs> yeah, it's again. 1984 My God. So, when you put so, it that way, geez. Yeah, history is a loop. Time is a loop. We're all just Time is a flat back. circle, Eli. <laughs> so, uh, but love the show. Think that I'm so excited for July 1 to happen because we get four more hours of the season. It's, it's the last four episodes of the season? No, no, it's four hours. It's only two episodes. Oh, but they're the two, last two hour episodes. episodes. Okay. No, the last episode, two hours and 30 minutes. So wow. basically a movie. And then there is season five. So oh, I was like, I'm a little they worried. shot season five? I don't think they have. But I'm a little worried that they might jump the shark with the <laughs> end of the season. But, um, I'm but the first the seven season. episodes were so damn good. They were. So, and they were um, so many like – sorry, I don't mean to keep interrupting you. I just want to gush. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say there's so many like homages to like 80s horror films. I mean they even – they have Robert Englund, uh, you know, the voice of Freddy Krueger uh, doing a voice. Um, you know, H.R. Geiger's kid, Rand Geiger, is the executive producer. 
Um, and just the effects and all the, uh, it's just such a good show. Like, it's like Scooby-Doo and E.T. and 80s horror movies all wrapped into one. And all the characters are so compelling. And they give them all fun things to do. And they have such great chemistry with each other. And the, the you know, the dialogue and the script are, are so great. And they play off each other so well. It's just a really fun and really well done show. I mean, I don't think there's a word of that you disagree with, right, Eli? No, I 100% agree. And, and you can, even though you can kind of see some of the plot twists coming, it's still so good. And then I will kind of follow that up with my pitch, um, which I've seen a couple movies lately. Uh, the first one was the most ridiculous, most like just completely unrealistic and self-absorbed movie that I absolutely loved and probably will watch a million times is Top Gun Maverick, which is just so ridiculous. Like nothing in the movie is plausible. The whole entire premise is utterly ridiculous and nobody involved in the defense department should ever enact a plan like the one they enact in Top Gun Maverick. But it's so fun and it's so Tom Cruise and it's so compelling and the the aerial scenes are great. After I watched that movie, I was, you know, weeb running around my house with my hands, with my arms spread out like Delta wings, flying around like a 12-year-old boy singing Danger Zone at the top of my lungs. So, um, it, it was so fun. Uh, that was a blast. Have you either of you guys seen it? Oh, yeah. I saw it. I loved it as well. Um, yeah, and it's ridiculous, right, Eli? Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's very cheesy. Uh, the, the whole no. the whole plan is just <laughs> the most re- yeah <laughs> yeah sorry go and ahead it's just the premise of the movie is just like insane but you know it's it's just a great family movie for that reason right? and it's like, fun yeah, yeah there's exactly. a great article in Slate that uh, is a military anal- analysis of the tactics in Top Gun. <laughs> Which which is super funny, but um, it, it was a blast. And then the other movie I watched that was a similarly even more ridiculous, like no part of it was grounded in any kind of reality, but it was still super fun, was uh, Jurassic World Dominion, which I think did a nice number over the weekend, and the movie theaters were packed. Like, I couldn't get in to see it hardly. The only rows that were available were the first row when I was trying to get tickets. So, uh, Jurassic World Dominion was just fantastic. The best part of the movie is they have the whole premise of the movie is there's this locust plague because this genetics company had bred these locusts that are the size of footballs. And, <laughs> and they're, and at one point they get set on fire. So there's flaming, lo- you know, football sized locusts dropping from the sky all over them. And as ridiculous as it sounds, it's still super fun. So, um, I saw the last three Jurassic worlds with my daughter and they even make, there's a lot of, uh, self-referential making fun of themselves. Like the whole thing with, you know, Chris Pratt, where he's got his hands out, uh, uh, training the velociraptors and keeping them on like every way to defeat a dinosaur is just put your palm out in front of you. And that's how you stop the dinosaur. <laughs> but it was still super fun. So I, I enjoyed the crap out of it. Have you seen that one? 
I have. Unfortunately, I'm not as high on that one as the other first two things, but <laughs> it was still fun. It was, it was fun. Yeah, no, it, it's a terrible movie. Um, and I think probably just because my 18-year-old enjoyed it, and we'd been watching them together since she was like 11 or 12, is probably the reason I love it so much. But it's still, I enjoy it, yeah. There's some really good shots in it, but there's some parts of it that just don't make any sense. And it was too long. It was about a half hour too long. So, come on, Eli, or Chris, you've got to have something to pitch now. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, critically panned movies, <laughs> the two movies that I saw recently are, I finally got around to seeing the fourth Matrix. Oh. Um, and I thought it was amazing. Uh, <laughs> the critics are wrong. Uh, they're either, um, they lack a sense of humor and they also are dullards. I don't know what which one they're they're just they're just flat out wrong. I thought it was awesome. Might be my favorite Matrix movie, as a matter of fact. Wow. Yeah. In the words of Nick Cage, that's high praise. Yeah, there you go. There you go. The one that I do agree with the critics panning that was absolutely dreadful. The worst movie that I've probably seen in my entire life is the Marvel's Eternals. Oh my god, it's awful. Man. It is aptly named though, though. It doesn't end. It doesn't end. Yes, that's what I thought. I was like I was falling asleep to this and I just tortured myself losing sleep to just to see the end of the movie for no freaking reason. Oh my god, that is It's so bad. It's so bad. I mean, wow. Wow. I, you know, I'm speechless and you know, I had high hopes for it. I like dumb guy movies, you know, such as The Eternals, but man, I ain't that dumb. Oh, oh no, it was it Whew. was it was a slog. Wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, and it start off it's the premise is promising, but then all the interpersonal relationships is just like the fate of the world is about in, people you don't care about. Yeah, like you, exactly. You, you have not built up a rapport with these people for the for like eight movies like the other marvel movies so yeah you just yeah. don't care thank you thank you so you know at least my you know that that's my uh that's my uh siskel and ebert there for you one good yeah. one, one thumbs up one thumbs so down. i do have to give you the movie that it was so bad we got a half hour into it and gave up Ooh, and which, it which is what? um the king's man which is Ooh. the kingsman prequel that's on hbo max right now okay it was so ridiculously bad and then the part we gave up on is there is a uh scene where a young boy is trying to seduce rasputin um <laughs> not a young boy but like a teenager and you're like what is happening here like this is just and rasputin is dropping the f-bomb all over the place and it's like like, he's one of those bad guys that's so disgusting you can't even watch the movie. Like, there's not even, like, like bad guys have to have some charisma or some kind of redeeming quality where you kind of understand their motivation. Are you talking and, about how horrible Kingsman is? Yes, I'm talking about how horrible Kingsman is. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> that was my daughter. <laughs> and it was, that did was you guys hilarious. hear that? Yes, that was hilarious. <laughs> and it's just so bad. And we're just like, my 12-year-old is like, 
I don't want to watch this anymore. <laughs> like, good call. You raised her right. Absolutely. I'm like, good. I, good call. I feel like I'm in Uncle Touchy's naked puzzle basement. Like, it's just like, no. Man. <laughs> yeah, it was awful. So that is a terrible movie. Don't watch it. Um, there you go. We, have, we, we did the anti-pitch today. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. And uh, with that, um, you know, we got game six on Thursday. Is that correct? Correct. And then, if necessary, Friday, Saturday, Sunday uh, would be Game 7. And yep, then Father's Day. Yeah, NBA draft a week from Thursday. So, pretty exciting stuff. And then we got to wait a whole six weeks for uh, or five weeks for free agency. So, should be a wild uh, couple months in the NBA. So, Let's as go. always, go Cavs. Go Cavs. Go Cavs. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. And we're out. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.